0: There's just no other way to say it. Today's story from Matthew is bizarre. An invitation to attend a feast given by the king in honor of his son is roundly rejected by all his guests. That's odd because no one would turn down the king's invitation, but it's not yet concerning. A second invitation is made, sweetening the offer. The tables are overflowing and it will be delicious. Come, come, come but those invited are unimpressed and return to business as usual. This is weird, but not outside the realm of our experience with Jesus' parables. But this is when it all goes off the rails. We are alarmed when the servants sent as messengers of a celebratory invitation are seized, abused, and killed. How do the stakes for attending a party suddenly get so high? And this distressing violence only gets worse. The king, in retribution, sends his forces to kill the murderers and burn down their city, the whole thing. While we're still pondering this pile of smoldering ash, we're told that the party will go on regardless. The king's, I guess, surviving servants are sent out to gather any they can find, both good and bad, and compel them to come to the banquet. I don't know where they found these folks as the whole city's been burned down, but somehow they managed to fill the hall. Now at the banquet, we think that we might be able to breathe a sigh of relief and move past all of this violence. But no, there's more disturbing weirdness to come. With the party in full swing, the king enters the banquet hall and moves among his guests. To his dismay, he finds one of them not dressed properly. Well, of course he's not in a wedding robe. You just pulled him in off the street when he was making a target run in his favorite faded t-shirt and flips. (laughs) Friend, the king says, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And receiving no satisfactory answer, the guest is thrown out. Not just out of the banquet hall, but into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This story has an exaggerated, cartoonish quality. In other words, it's not realistic. Over the years, many a theological commentator and preacher has presented this story as an allegory. God is the king. Jesus is the son for whom the banquet is thrown. Those who refuse to attend the banquet are the Jewish leaders who have not recognized God's presence and action in Jesus. The B-list guests who are pulled in off the street are the Gentiles and the prostitutes and the tax collectors who might not have been considered part of God's chosen people originally, but have been drawn into relationship with God through Jesus. And while there's a lot to like about that allegory, in the end, it isn't satisfying. Do we worship a God who would smite a whole city because his pride was bruised? Is our God going to banish us to outer darkness because we fail to maintain the right dress code? I don't know about you, but this king doesn't sound like the loving gracious, forgiving God I know through Jesus' revelation and quite frankly, in my own experience. So we must remember that this is Matthew's bizarre story. Matthew who skews toward judgment and uses terms like outer darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth more than twice as much as all the other evangelists combined. If you recall, we are in the midst of a confrontation between the temple leaders and Jesus. Two weeks ago, we had the incident where the religious leaders questioned Jesus' authority. Jesus responded by telling the parable of the two sons. The son who did the right thing, even if he was late to get there, versus merely saying the right thing, was the one who did the will of the father. Then last week, Jesus ramps up his teaching with the parable of the wicked tenants. The vineyard is taken from them and given to new tenants. And Jesus concludes that parable by telling the religious authorities straight out, therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruit of the kingdom. And he wraps up his debate with the religious leaders with today's over-the-top story of the king's wedding banquet. So, macheting our way through these stories, what is Matthew trying to tell us about God's kingdom? First, living our faith has to be our first priority. How we live not just on Sundays, but every hour of every day of every week matters. It can be so easy to compartmentalize our lives, to check going to church off our to-do list and then going out to live our real lives. Our world tempts us to forgo the invitation to the banquet because we are too busy with our jobs or our families or our boards and committees and social groups, or our other entertaining diversions. It's not even that we consciously reject the invitation, it's just that it gets lost among the catalogs and the junk mail and the bills. Our lives have become so full of other lesser priorities that we risk missing the invitation when it comes. Second, our faith ought to make a difference in who we've become. That whole disturbing image of the wedding garment boils down to this point. The doors of the kingdom have been thrown open and the invitation is extended to all. And I do mean all. But once you come in, there are standards. You can't go on acting like you're not at an extraordinary party. The wedding garment represents our putting on a life in Christ. The invitation is freely given to all, good and bad. But our lives are what reveal our acceptance of that invitation. For some, faith may be a watered-down matter of intellectual belief or emotional trust that does not bring our behavior into play. We can only produce the fruits of the kingdom when we allow ourselves to be transformed such that our lives become more and more Christ-like. This means increased patience, generosity, grace, forgiveness, equanimity, fortitude. If you've been a Christian for X years, and you haven't seen a growth in these aspects of your life in those X years, you might need to start shopping for a wedding garment. Here at St. Michael, we're in the midst of our Building the Future campaign, as well as our annual stewardship drive. In this season, we're being asked to intentionally discern how we are actively participating in and supporting God's redemptive work in the world, especially as it is being lived out here at St. Michael. In essence, we're being challenged to affirm that we are, in fact, wearing our wedding garment, that we are living lives that don't merely reveal what we believe about Jesus but how that belief has reshaped and transformed our lives. In a world that constantly, constantly encourages us to put ourselves first, this is no small task. We need a firm foundation in God that is nurtured and grown among his people if we are to have any hope of living into this call. This is why our formation is so important. As part of the capital renovation of our building, we will be expanding and enhancing our spaces for formation. Currently, we have very few truly welcoming places for our classes. We regularly use worship space, the chapels for formation because of our limited options. Our new space will have rooms for small, medium and large classes, where the space will fit the size of the offering. These rooms will have technology that assists us as teaching resources continue to move in that direction. It will allow us to host speakers from the community so that we can remain informed about the challenges and joys of their ministry and to determine how we can best support them. And most especially, these new spaces will help us form up our children in nurturing ways, helping us in our charge to raise up the next generation in the faith. As St. Michael moves forward, forming ourselves as disciples of Jesus will be a priority right alongside working for good in our community. To be formed We must be participating regularly in offerings on scripture, the church tradition, Christian ethics and how that looks in our lives, personal spirituality and practices, and the meaning of our worship. Those those of you who feel like you've taken all the classes you want or need, know that we need you among us. We need the wisdom and life experience of those who've been traveling this path a long time. Just as you need to hear and know the struggles and perspectives of those who are newer to the challenge of living the Christian life. We are called to do this good work among one another here in community. The irony is that this very confusing gospel story from Matthew is just the kind of thing that would be unpacked in a good Bible study class, that would be read, marked, learned, and inwardly digested such that it would set up shop within us to guide and shape our lives. It's the very thing that would help us be prepared with our wedding garment when the big invitation arrives. Amen.